0: Welcome back to Wizard in the Book, the unofficial Dresden Files podcast, where we go through the Dresden Files, one chapter at a time. This week is Chapter 5 of Stormfront, the first book in the Dresden Files. We got some new stuff in this chapter. Oh, and my name's Esty Harker, by the way. You can find me on Harker Books on Twitter. We got some new stuff in this episode, in this chapter. We learn McAnally's The Bar... Three-Eye, strange drug going around. Susan Rodriguez makes an appearance for the first time. A reference to Mr.? And some information about the Unseelie, whatever they are. Let's get into the plot. So where are we in these books? Well, Dresden's had a couple cases come through. He's got the murder of two random people. Chests burst open. Not so random because one of them works for Gentleman Johnny Marcone the big uh, capo of crime in Chicago. He's got another case coming through with a missing husband of Monica Sells, Victor Sells. He's been thinking all this through. He just met with Monica. He said, decides to, you know, do. he does a little bit of investigating. Calls around the morgues. Nobody's there. So he decides to go get a drink and a good sandwich with some of the money that Monica laid down. McAnally's pub has some fun to it. He gets there and meets Mac, the bartender, owner of the establishment. Sort of a wizard pub. We'll learn about it in a second. He reads in the paper that there's been a three-eye rampage, tore apart a grocery store. Apparently the drug opens up the third eye. Dresden thinks it's crap, though, because, well, the police haven't called him about it, so it's not that important. Then Mac says... Dresden, you've been followed. He (laughs) sniffs the air, says, Susan Rodriguez, can't believe you're here. She asked him, why in the world did the special investigations call you in today? He says he can't answer any questions. But she starts rapid-firing questions anyway, and surprises him and gets him to agree to go on a date with her. There's a little bit more to Susan than meets the eye in this relationship. While complaining about the date, Mac pretty much calls Dresden dumb and he decides, well, since he's got to go on a date and he's got to go meet the vampirist Bianca the next night, which makes this a Thursday, his date with Susan is on a Saturday, he's got to go meet with Bianca the next night, so tonight he's going to go out to the lake house and that's where our chapter ends. We learn a couple things about Dresden here, he feels home at Max. Max is like a wizard bar. Basically, you think of it as that bar that when you start a DD and d campaign, everybody's just sort of hanging out. That's what kind of place this is. His calls to the morgue, his detective work, brought turned up nothing on Victor Sells, so he's kind of at a you know, stopping point on that little venture right now. When he gets surprised, Dresden brings up quasi-Latin words in his mind. Whatever that means, we haven't gotten to there yet, but he does it when he's preparing to defend himself he can identify susan by perfume he knows her pretty well but he just lets her think it's wizard powers because most people when they're you know confronted with something they don't quite get when a wizard's doing it they're like oh magic powers but he just lets them do that he apparently doesn't date very much because the last time didn't turn out well because he murdered his first love we learned that in this chapter too and he has integrity he won't compromise his case for Susan's story, even though he really likes her and would actually really want to tell her, probably. He has integrity and will not go against that case. We meet McAnally. Mac. The name is, uh, well, eh, it's a problem. Mostly it's Irish and is a sort of bastardization from the Irish to English. There's a couple of names and... The Irish are very proud of this because there's several different ones. I'm going to not even try to pronounce some of these Irish Gaelic terms, um, where it comes from. It's kind of obscure meaning. Uh, the modern Irish, well, I might as well try it. Fagenlich means a poor man, and it's usually pronounced as Mackinally. So, Fagenlich. I don't know how you get McAnally out of that, but there it goes. The name's origin is also, there's two origins, that's the first one, the modern Irish for a poor man. The second origin is for the prominence of Undai, and comes from the Mac-Coo-Undai, a historic character from Irish literature, uh, Coon-Undai, which means the Hound of Ulster, the story comes from a very strong guy who used to be the son of Log, a Celtic god. He was invited to eat dinner at this rich guy's house. And after the gentleman had seen how good he'd been fighting, you know, earlier in the day, he had to do some chores. So he, and then would go straight to the guy's house. But apparently the guy forgot about him and he put his hounds out for the night for protection when the guy showed up, conned um, lad, he beat up the hounds and killed them he felt pretty bad about that so he promised to be the rich guy's hound for protection until he had trained new animals and that's where the name Kun unlaud um, I feel really bad about that became the guy's name Mac Unlaud um, was translated into the English into McAnally so possibly maybe Mac has some type of Mystical element about him, a son of a god. That's wow, that's really actually very big. If you really think about that, if you've read any of the further books, which of course I haven't, we're going to pretend that I haven't. His description, he's tall and almost gangly. He's no less than 50, but he carries himself with like a strength and wisdom that you know, he looks younger, but he seems to have an, uh, Dresden feels about him that he's just older. he rarely speaks, he has squinty eyes and a mischievous smile when he's talking. He's the owner of the pub of the same name, Mckinally's. It's a few blocks from Dresden's office. There's no fancy bar equipment, televisions, games, jukebox, just a player piano in the corner because again deals with a lot of wizard folks as we've learned from just Dresden. He messes up technology. There's low ceilings and ceiling fans. Dresden has to duck a little bit. And it's below ground. There's 13 stools, 13 st- tables, 13 mirrors, 13 columns, and 13 windows. The columns are carved with various scenes of folk tales of the old world. Uh, a lot of muted earth browns and greens. And serves homemade ale on a wood-burning stove. That pretty much, if you order, you've got to go pick it up yourself. And Mac will let you know that. And that's kind of what Dresden likes about it. Mac himself does not take any sides in any kind of conflict. He's Dresden thinks he's pretty wise about that. And he's got a, like I said, a boyish, mischievous smile. We meet Susan Rodriguez in this, in this chapter. Susan comes from, pick your language, and generally just means lily, like the flower. A lily from Susana, from Susa a city in southwest Iran that was an ancient capital of the Elamite kingdom. It's a pretty common name. There's tons of Susans out there. Uh, Susan Sarandon, Susie and the Banshees. Pick your Susie. There's one out there. Uh, the name Rodriguez comes from Son of Rodrigo, which, which as means son and Rodrigo is a Spanish, or actually a Germanic elements of a name with Rod meaning fame and Rick meaning power. So, son of a powerful, famous guy. That's pretty much what it means. It was the name of Roderick, the last Visigoth king, before the Muslim conquest, and the subject of many legends. The surname Rodriguez could have originated in the ninth century when the patriotic names originated. It's another word that probably described that wrong. So, pretty much her name means Lily of Power. Something to that effect. A description of Susan. She's of average height and a dark beauty. With dark hair cut to her neck and dark eyes. She wears a crisp business jacket, a white v-neck shirt, skirt, hose, and pumps. And is quite attractive from what Dresden or Dresden believes she's quite attractive. She's a reporter for the Chicago Arcane kind of a yellow journalism that reports on supernatural elements in the Midwest. She's been around Dresden since he started, he opened up shop, like interviewed him for an expose. She was around during his Branson trip and kind of says, well, Dresden missed a big light show. It was kind of pretty. She has good instincts about a story. At least Dresden thinks she does. And she's the one that soul gazed Dresden and fainted. So if you want to go back to our chapter 3 episode, you can learn all about soul gazes and what happened there. She is somewhat attracted to Dresden in some way, shape, or form. Dresden thinks that she has no idea how attractive she is, but she is aren't honest and will flirt to get what she wants. She's got a good laugh, throaty and rich, and she's really good at rapid-fire interrogation techniques, which is what she uses to trick Dresden. And he's a Fairly smart guy, intuitive from what we've seen, but maybe not so great around the ladies. We also get mention of someone called Mr. that Mac gives Dresden like a little doggy bag, little scraps. So maybe some type of pet? Not sure yet. As far as the cultural and supernatural stuff, we could start out with the 13. It's the number of all the stuff in the bar, the windows, the columns, everything else that's supposed to disrupt magical energy. Some kind. Uh, The number 13 as a mystical or even just a general idea comes up in tons of cultures. One theory is that this is due to the cultures employing employing the lunar solar calendars. There's approximately 12.14 lunations per solar year, hence the 12 true months, plus a smaller, often portentous 13th month. This can be witnessed, for example, in the 12 days of Christmas, and it comes up a lot. That so the number 13, because of the lunar cycle, people saw, oh, there's 13 months. There's 13, you know, moons every year or whatever, and they balance their year out for that. And then there's that 13th one that just kind of messes up things. It's not exactly right, it doesn't play in. Some fun facts about 13 that I'm not even going to pretend to understand some of this. It's the sixth prime number. That's pretty easy. Number that's only divisible by itself in one. It's the smallest imp. A prime that is a different prime when reversed. So 13 and 31. Apparently that's a thing people have thought about. One of only three known Wilson primes. It's this big math thing that, again, I have no clue. Uh, the only known Wilson Primes are 5, 13, and 563. If any others exist, they must be greater than 2 times 10 to the 13th power. This is one thing I do like. It's a Fibonacci number. Uh, the Fibonacci is a sequence that is created when adding the previous number to the sequence to the second. Found It's found a ton of places in nature. The Golden Mean, if you've ever seen that, in painting or in art... It's found in seashells, leaves, everywhere else. Uh, the first couple numbers, it's 0. And then you add one, zero, 1. makes 1. 1 and 1 make 2. 2 and 3 make 5. 3 and 5 make 8. Three, 5 and 8 make 13. And it keeps going from there. And if you graph it out, it looks like a spiral. So that's how that works. It's a happy number, 13 is. And here's where it really gets, I have no clue what this means. Starting with any positive integer, replace the number by the sum of the squares of its digits and repeat the process until the number either equals 1, where it will stay, or it loops endlessly in a cycle that does not include 1. Those numbers for which this process ends in 1 are happy numbers, while those who do not end in 1 are unhappy numbers, or sad numbers. So that's your math for the day. Move on with your life, please. It's also the third centered square number and has nothing to do with Hollywood squares as far as I know. I tried to look that one up and it blew my mind and I'm going to move on from the number 13. So that's the significance of 13. Mostly lunar cycles is what they figure, but there's is it pops up everywhere. There's no one theory as to why, but that is what it is. And there's, you know, triskaidekaphobia is the fear of 13 and all that. We'll move on to auras. Apparently the number of 13 and all that stuff is supposed to break up the aura of wizards. Unhappy, weird wizards. An aura, from what I could tell from any kind of research, is the distinct atmosphere or quality that seems to surround or by, or generated by a person, place, thing. So it's just sort of a mystical field. that's sort of around You think like a magnetic field, but living, I don't know. There's the drug, three eye. First period, we've come up here, and Dresden mentions that it's supposed to open up the third sight. So, what is the third sight? It's the mystical or esoteric concept referring to the speculative invisible eye, which perceives perception beyond ordinary sight. It's used on a lot of Eastern religions, Hindu, Taoism, to symbolize a clear enlightenment or seeing the truth. It's the same in Christianity. Where it is seen as a non-dualistic thinking. So you don't see one thing or the other. You see just the truth of what God wants you to see. That kind of thing. There's actually a scientific definition of the third sight. And that is pretty much what your mind's eye sees. So like when you're dreaming. When you bring up a memory and you, you can swear that you see it. In your mind. That's your third eye. Which is... Definitely not, you know, it's a false vision playing in your mind. It's not a true example. And it's actually horrible for looking at the truth. And some people, apparently, as far as the scientific part go, they don't have this. Which kind of blows my mind. How do you formulate memories if you can't... I don't know, it's probably a visual blocking thing. Or it's it's your brain tricking your mind... your brain tricking itself into thinking it's seeing something. It's kind of fascinating if you really want to follow down that rabbit hole. Uh, we're going to move on. There's several of the arcanes. The paper that Susan works for. Monkey Man sees scene with Elvis's love child. Monkey Man. That all I can find is a Rolling Stone song. Elvis's love child is a common conspiracy theory. So those are kind of just a funny thing, especially uh, with. JFK's mutant ghost abducts shape-shifting Girl Scout. Again, just a funny little aside, it's proof of Dresden's either humor, or if this is true, the fact that the... I don't know, it's it's insane. Either way. That the articles they write about, the arcane writes about are just insane. But we do also learn about the Unseelie Occursion of 1994 where the entire city of Milwaukee disappeared for two hours. All communication ceased. Government satellites showed no signs of human life, which is holy crap bonkers. Especially when you go into what the Unseelie are. If you've never heard about that, it's a fairy. It's a word for fairy, but the dark fairy, the mean fairies, the, yeah, they're the dark fairies of folklore divided into courts that do not wish to help people, or they just actively hurt them, one or the other. Now, if you look into the Seelie, those are the Old English or Scottish words that mean happy or helpful, so there are spirits that are happy or helpful that will help people along, so the Unseelie are not. Fun fact, we get the word Silly from the fairy Seelies. So, there you go. You've learned something new. We learned on the Soul Gaze that, like I said, we talked about in chapter three, it doesn't work twice. Once is enough. So Susan and Dresden have done it once. They can meet each other's eyes all day long and they'll never have to go back there again except for in their mind's eyes, where they'll always have that perfect memory of each other. There's the phrase, wild horses couldn't drag me, which I always like that phrase. You know, there's the Rolling Stones song. There's a couple other uh, tons of covers of that song. I was well, kind of curious where that comes from. It... It is an idiom that just means nothing could induce or persuade me, as in wild horses couldn't drag me into that nightclub. It's almost always used in a negative form, believed to have replaced wild horses couldn't draw it from me, referring to the medieval torture of using horses to stretch a prisoner and therefore force a connection. So basically drawing and quartering someone. That's what the wild horses couldn't drag me. So instead of, I always thought it was just wild horses couldn't, dragged me there so like if you tied me to a horse and you know i there's no way i'd let that crazy animal pull me there no it comes from torture so that's fun we also get a little bit of a maybe bible reference at one point susan is tempting dresden in her way and she says something about you didn't even look down my shirt once and he says i am pure of i am pure of heart and mind and cannot be corrupted this is actually sort of comes from the Bible, uh, Titus one fifteen. "Quote to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted." So it's fun that we're dropping Bible references. We dropped one, I think, the last episode, maybe one before about the suffer the witch to live. Now we've got this one. The date that Susan is going to take Dresden on the pump room at the ambassador East. Now, before I always thought this was nothing because the Madison hotel doesn't exist in a couple other places. Like we learned in the first episode, second episode or chapter one, chapter two, we learned that the, you know, that doesn't exist. Several of the directions they've given doesn't exist. The pump room actually exists as silly as a name of a hoity toity restaurant sounds. It was built in 1938, hosted tons of guests, from President to Frank Sinatra was a big guest. Michael J. Fox showed up once, personal hero. It is the at the Ambassador East on Chicago's Gold Coast. It apparently does have pretty good steaks, and you can look at the menu online. There's a really tasty-looking filet mignon. You know it's rich because there's no prices on the menu online, so who knows how that works. Jacket and tie is required when you go there which actually comes up in, I believe, a Phil Collins song, No Jacket Required, was based on an incident in the pump room. It was closed down in 2011 for remodeling, as the Ambassador East became the public Chicago hotel. Could Susan afford this? Dresden definitely can't afford this. But it's kind of funny that this has been all over the place. It was also in Hitchcock's North by Northwest. The lobby appeared in it. So it's kind of a fin- pretty fancy place. It's kind of nice. And it's fun. For some reason, they decided to... I guess Butcher just needed a place to choose. You know, place to go. But yeah, so the Pump Room actually exists. And that's all I really have for this episode. Wizard in the Book is part of the Band Library. You can find us at bandlibrary.com or at bandlibrary on Twitter. If you want to help us out, go to patreon.com slash bandlibrary dollar a month gets you these episodes early and maybe some extra episodes in the future that's it for this week i still don't have anything to close this show out on huh uh thank you for reading about the wizard in the book that sucks i'll figure something out at some point thanks for listening